Welcome in everybody to a Wednesday edition, a wet Wednesday. Hopefully it's not as wet as it was last night, wherever you are, but everyone hang in there. The weather will get better. I believe, I believe. Welcome into this Wednesday edition of Texas All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and now joined by my good friend, the voice of the Texans right off the top, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, good evening. How are you, my good friend? I'm sure everyone who has pets who are afraid of lightning oh, or if they man. themselves are afraid of lightning and thunder, uh, they're not well rested today, Johnny, like me, because my dog, Pippa, who we've had for a year, a rescue dog, uh, does yep. not like the lightning and thunder. And I had to comfort her several times and also make sure that the backyard sump pump thing was working properly in the <laughs> middle of the night because sometimes that shorts out in rainy weather. Yeah. So which is when you really need it the most, of course. But of course. everything's cool and I'm happy and it's uh, fun to be on the air talking some football. No doubt. Judori is going to be by in our next segment. We're going to go in the lab and discuss someone living in the Houston area who has been around that would make for a pretty good consultant, analyst, coach. He's done it before. We'll get into that in our In the Lab segment, as we will also look at the quarterbacks that the Texans will face this year. But, Mark, you sent me a text as we were setting up our show for tonight, and you said, hey, I'm doing my daily brew based on the five – and I want to make sure I get this, get this, this right because – the way you said it really caught my attention. The top five crowd experience games in team history. And that got my attention. That got me thinking because I was wanting to do either or. And I was like, no, nah, you know what? I'm curious now. Of those five, let's see if we can. I want to narrow these down. Of those five, <laughs> and you know how long I've been here, how many of those was I down on the sideline for? All right, you've been on the sideline for one, two, two, <laughs> two of them. That's it? Just two? Wait, uh, yeah, yeah, two of them. Uh, but you've been in town for, because I know okay. you've been, you were in Houston. You know, we all know Lamar consolidated, then you left mm -hmm. town for a while, came back. Uh, let's see, all but one of them, Johnny, have you been in the building? So, okay, I'm good. guessing, I'm guessing that. Number one, that it's 2002. That's the one I didn't see. Cowboys, Texans, the opener, the first one. Is that number one? Oh, you think that's going to make it, huh? Yeah, uh, well, that's going to make the list. It's going to okay. make the top five, but it isn't number one, John. It's not number it's one. It's not number one. Yeah, and these okay. are the games, to clarify, where the crowd kind of Oh. Not necessarily took control, but where it was the loudest and the most passionate and the most noticeable crowd reaction. Because, look, mm -hmm. there have been so many moments. And, you know, I could point to, geez, I mean, the crowd went nuts when Andre Johnson fourth and 10 against Miami in 2008 when you avoided going 0-5. I know that's not a moment that's going to be a top five moment, but and maybe not a top five crowd moment, but they went nuts and they went nuts for his uh, overtime catch and run against the Jaguars in 12. And they went yeah. nuts when Chris Brown kicked it through the uprights in 06 to beat the Colts for the first time ever. But to me, that's not a top five crowd moment either. It's really great. And even Watson hitting Taiwan Jones to me as yeah. great as that was. And if we're ranking top moments in franchise history, maybe that's number one. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't want to have that debate right now, but, um, 
when the crowd was so electric that I couldn't even hear myself think, talk, whatever. These are those moments, you know, whether it was throughout a whole game or moments in a game or a moment in particular. I know one moment for me. This, okay. this would be mine from 2014 on. It actually happened in 2014. We've talked about this a little bit. When on a Thursday night, when we're getting kicked in the teeth and finally we chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away, mm-hmm. but we can't get that, that score. It's 33-21, and we botched it some. I don't remember how we botched it. Maybe, I think, think maybe we missed a field goal. I can't remember exactly. But it's third down, and you made the call. You put out the bat signal for J.J. Watt, and the ball somehow gets away from Andrew Luck. J.J. gets it while he's on the ground, but there are enough blue shirts around him to keep him from getting touched. He pops up and runs in the end zone. And Mark, I thought the place was going to fall down. I have never that that was that was my true holy bleep. This is oh my gosh. Yeah. And then the second thought was, holy smokes, JJ Watt just listened to Mark. Mark <laughs> said to make a play, he made a play. So I would say that's the loudest moment in 2014. That one again that with JJ Watt picking up the fumble and making it 33-28. That is number three on my all-time top five crowd experience slash moments list, Johnny. That was unbelievable. And it was a loss, right? They were down 24 to nothing. They chipped away, as you said. They were down five after the Watts scoop and score. But that moment right there, and Watts dancing in the end zone with Merciless, and who was the other guy? AJ Boye, I think, was down there. (laughs) And they're doing the... The nay nay or whatever. Look, they, <laughs> <They're doing. laughs> it, and it was only a few seconds, but that was a, an iconic sort of shot right there. And I just think that that moment was unbelievable. It was as loud as I've ever heard the stadium. Uh, it was just earth shattering. And I thought there's no way we're going to lose the game now, but obviously couldn't get over the hump. And Fitzy got the ball back. You got the ball back. You stopped uh... them, got the ball back, couldn't score. And you know, I don't blame it on Fitzy. It's just one of those things, and uh, yeah. unfortunately. But we remember the moment. There's another loss on the list, by the way. I'm, I'm getting there in a second. But I want to ask you this. When the crowd gets to that level, mm-hmm. you as the point guard, the, the, you know, the engine driving the car, how does that change things for you calling the game? Do you feed off of that? Is it distracting? Do you have to kind of sift through? What's that like for you? calling the game after, you know, in the, the residual noise is just so unbelievable. What's that like for you? I think, all right. So two things, uh, as far as doing the play-by-play for the call, you described, you're right. The ball was on the ground and Watt gets up and I'm looking and I couldn't believe that it was returnable. Right. I thought that I knew the ball was out, but I thought everybody was going to be down and I didn't say that. And I think I said, and guess who's got it? Because yes, I wasn't 100 percent sure that Watt jumped up with it initially. Right. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm not going to be wrong. <laughs> I said, guess who's got it? Because I was thought it's most likely him that I see him running. And I'm like, yeah. it's JJ. It's and him. the call turned out to be pretty good. Uh, so that I held it together there. But there are uh, two games on this list, Johnny, where uh, where the crowd was so loud on defense that I couldn't hear myself talk, you know, where it's third down, the opponent has the ball and it's so loud that I'm just saying third and 10, you know, like Peyton Manning or whoever the quarterback would be. Uh, There have been moments like that at NRG stadium where 
I'm just sort of hanging in there and talking and hoping that it's coming out right because it's like, you know, you know, deaf people can talk. Yeah. Very many of them, right. but it doesn't always come out as cleanly as they would like because they can't hear themselves. Right. And that's a big thing. You have to be able to hear yourself in order to speak clearly. Uh, and they'd be the first to say that. And that's my ultimate, you know, extreme example of what happens. You when you can't hear yourself talk, you can't be as good as you normally could be. But you're hanging in there for those moments. And that has happened on many occasions at NRG where it's that loud. And that's a testament to the crowd, to the fans. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the fact And I wrote this piece because, hey, this fall, we could all be together again. And that's right. going to be phenomenal opening day against the Jaguars to all be there again for a regular season game, the home opener. And I can't wait. I would imagine that 2017 week one would have made your list had we won that game. When JJ comes out of the tunnel after oh, yeah. Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. I don't know how you put words together because I was struggling to keep it together. Just knowing what everybody had gone through, what I know mm -hmm. we had gone through personally, being away from our families, our families had gone through here in Houston. And I just remember him coming out with that flag and like, oh my gosh, this place is going to fall down. And then of course, you know, the Jack, that was such a, that was you <laughs> actually, that was a great Jags team and they were ready to roll that afternoon for sure. But that would, I think that would have made it because that was such a, an incredible moment it was uh, for that perspective there was another one there was another one that quickly quieted down postseason 2015 oh, no, the towels no. <laughs> i know it was so painful to bring up oh, but you got to admit for yeah. right until the ball oh. went into who was it nile nile davis nile davis nile davis as the ball's in the air it's as loud as it can be and the towels are waving and it's such yep. a sight and then it's like Oh, <laughs> kickoff return for a touchdown. And then the, you know, the deflation and it never yeah. got better. And that was, that was a rough day. That was a rough that was, day. That, that was a rough one. But man, I, I had said this to too many people in 2011, 2012, I was doing uh overnight show on national radio. And so my hours are all screwed up. I very, I, I got to a couple of games during that time frame, but it was so hard because I was sleeping during the day and then awake at night. But I remember – and I, so I didn't get to the playoff games 11 and 12, and I remember you and I talked about it. I talked about it with Drew and DP, and they're like, look, man, that, this game against the Chiefs, it's going to be unbelievable. And I just remember towels in the air. I'm like, holy crap, this is incredible. And can somebody tackle that guy who's actually from the greater Houston area, which just oh. – set up for an awful afternoon um so okay so you said two games since 2014 so mm -hmm. yes the colts game thursday night uh in 2014 no it's no a, doubt it's a tricky one johnny because should i, I give it I away know. should i give you the no. ultimate hint does it have to do with the former texan who missed the field goal no no oh, that, okay. that was a okay. good night right. though that was a good night yep. 2016 randy bullock yep. missing the field goal but this and, and you have to look at the fine print here because it is about the crowd experience and the effectiveness of the crowd. And this particular game did not take place at NRG Stadium. And now I know you know what it is. As the Texans were on the road in your first season at a place where they've seldom go. Oh, 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 yes. Okay, they both are from 2014. Yep. Oh, 
2014 against the Cowboys in Jerry World. Yep. Oh, man, I just got chills thinking about that. And you're right. They're both in losses. it! I know, but you got to admit that that Cowboy game is a top five crowd impact yeah, experience game. One. You didn't win the oh. game. But yeah. they came back, forced overtime. The crowd mm-hmm. was as good as you could have a Texans crowd, and they weren't even at home. They right. forced Tony Romo into a silent count. It was yep. mayhem in Big D. And I know, and I mentioned this in the article on HoustonTexans.com, that, yes, opposing fans often are at Big D. I mean, you know, you have a lot of opposing fans in that building. It's happened a, a bunch of times. But nobody has ever invaded Jerry World like the traveling Texans. They took over the joint. There were dozens of thousands there. It was monumental what they were able to do, all in battle red. It was glorious. Unfortunately, I ended in overtime with a loss. But, man, what a day that was, Johnny. I'll tell you this. My, one of my it, – it's interesting you bring it up because one of my – enduring memories not only from that season but from a lot of seasons happened in that particular game I mean I I just I see I don't know how Romo gets away from JJ I don't know how and then he throws the bomb and but I remember we're down late we got to drive and Fitzy of all people Fitzy drives him down and Arian scores I think to make it 17-17 yep I think that's what it was so I was on, obviously I was on our sideline. So your the booth is on that side of the field. So it's all on that side of the field. The run goes to the other side. And so as I'm, you know, celebrating a touchdown, I look and Andre Johnson is standing in the end zone all by himself. And he's literally standing at what looks like the star. And I don't think he's doing that on purpose. But he's literally standing on the star, and he is looking up at all the Texans fans, and he's just, like, he's not, like, pointing and, like, he's just kind of gesturing, like, yes. Like, you can just tell it's an emotional moment. Like, he's sharing it with the fans. And it was just so cool because it was so Andre. Because it was so understated. But it was just, like, yes. It was like uh, Jonah Hill. In Moneyball, there's that moment where they get the money from the owner to make that deal yeah. for the pitcher. Jonah yeah. Hill yeah. just turns and he does a little – that's kind of yeah. like what he was doing. And I just thought, this is one of the greatest things. I'll never forget this for as long as I live. And, of course, then Dan Bailey missed the field goal to send us to overtime. And then we couldn't convert a third and two. They came down and kicked the field goal. Oh. Won the game. Oh, man. Oh, I'm sorry just- to bring that up. In that way, but, no, but, but but you're right though. From a crowd experience standpoint, my goodness, it was incredible. You know, I could have picked a lot of that. Was number five, okay? Yeah. Number five was Dallas on the road in 2014. I mentioned already number three. This is top five crowd experiences games in the uh, history of the franchise. Number three was that indie moment where Watt scooped and scored, and the roof was about to blow off the building. Number four took place before you were on the sideline, but you were in town. And it was part of the 2011 season. Yeah. And it wasn't a playoff game. I know which one it is. Atlanta. Correct. Atlanta was on a different level now. It was. It was on a whole different level. I, I was – that was another one of those games. Like I said, I was watching from home. But there was something about that game. Mark, I don't yep. know what it was. But that game was on – that was on a whole different level. Mm-hmm. I just remember watching home like, this is one of the most intense things I've ever seen in my life. This is incredible to watch. 
All right, so you know what it was? So Schaub goes out after the win at Tampa Bay, right? Right, right. And at the time, they're seven and three. They've won four in a row. The season starts a little shaky, like three and three. And this is the season yeah, where yeah. you hide Wade Phillips as the defensive coordinator. Is this going to yep. work or not? You beat already Pittsburgh 17 to 10 at home. And that was a great, great day. But like, where's this going at three and three? And then they get on a roll. They win four in a row. And then yep. Schaub, oh my gosh, he's out. But that game was on the road. And then you had the bye. And there's Leinert coming in to save the day, you thought, yeah. maybe, hopefully. And you're yeah. at Jacksonville, still on the road after the bye. So you haven't been at home in a while, right? And we all know what happened. Leinert gets hurt before the half. Yates comes in. Oh, my gosh, you're down to your third string. And a rookie quarterback yeah. who you drafted in the fifth round. And you pull out against the Jags, but you had seven sacks. You knew that for the first time, really, that you are building an elite defense. You yeah. had a 17-10 win over Pittsburgh at home earlier in the season. The defense yeah. had been playing well, and you just throttled. I know it was Blaine Gabbert, but throttled Jacksonville with seven sacks. Everybody's going nuts for this defense, and Watt isn't even Watt yet. I mean, they have seven right. sacks. I think Barwin had four of them or something. <laughs> yeah. Then you come home and play Atlanta and Atlanta's pretty good back then, right? This is yeah. the Mike Smith Falcons and, you know, their regular playoff participants. They come into your joint and you're playing them. And Johnny, when the defense takes the field every time, it's so electric in that yeah. game. That's one of those games where it's so loud. I can't hear myself think or talk. Yeah. Everyone knows Yates is getting his first start and the crowd realizes, I think, it's not the first time in franchise history, but it's the first time that it really feels like it is such a cause and effect crowd yeah. can make stops along with the D and right. you just feel this, this power, this energy in the building when the defense is on the field and bulls on parade is firing over the loudspeakers and bam, you make stop after stop after stop and hold them to 10 points and beat them 17 to 10. Yeah. And Yates looks pretty good. And the crowd felt like they had more of an effect maybe than ever. And it was, there was just something special about that day. You know, uh, another game that, and it should have to a degree, but it kind of had that same sort of feel that every time the defense went out on the field, it was like the fans took it to a different level. Was in 2016 in the playoff game against the Raiders. Yeah. That was another one where it Good felt example. like the crowd understood look, we can impact this game. They've got a rookie at quarterback. We can be a part of this game. And then it starts off with, with you know, the, the way that it starts off, they get the stop and then they get a field goal and then Clowney gets the interception, they get the touchdown. And it was like the crowd understood it was watching such a nasty defense just go to work. And they had such, such an impact on the first half of that game. I mean, Cook never got, got comfortable. And I think a lot of that was just, the crowd every single time getting hyped about about what was going on. it was it was unbelievable to watch and of course the other time we would say was in the the second half of the game against the bills in the playoffs i mean after jj gets yeah. the sack it's like yo look it's 16 nothing we haven't done anything and they're just imploring like the offense like do something come on let's go because we're ready to explode and then, of course, get the touchdown at a two-point and the place is, like, on fire at that point. And the second loudest I've heard it was not – I. it's so funny because I can't remember much about the Taiwan Jones other than screaming in your ear, Taiwan Jones, Taiwan Jones. <laughs> make sure that you knew because he didn't play much. Right. I was making sure that you knew he was in the game. Anyhow, 
when Jacob Martin gets the sack on fourth down, when Josh Allen is trying to scramble yeah, and they sack him on the other side of 50, I was all the way down in the end zone on the other end. zone, I was in the South end zone by that point thinking, okay, well, they've been driving, uh-huh. but then all of a sudden it's like back, back. And I didn't want to move. And then when he gets sacked, I just remember this noise. And I mean, I'm just, I'm like, you know, screaming going down. Somebody's got a photo of me and I, I put it up in my office of just celebrating that moment. I don't, I don't, I didn't hear anything. It was so <laughs> loud. I'm scared. I couldn't hear myself at all. That was one that I, I can distinctly, that moment was as close to as loud as the Watt one in 2014. But I think my favorite one on that list, even though it was in a loss, was going to Jerry World and turning that into a basically a 50-50 neutral site game and Tony Robos go to a silent count in his own building. That was that was that was incredible. That was what incredible, more do you need to know? Man. I mean, about the Texans fans. And I know we're probably running out of time here, but Dallas number two, opening night, right? Yeah. Okay. I All mean, right. that was that was so incredible. No one who was there will ever forget it. You'll never forget that day, that night, the electricity, uh, yeah. the five years of no professional football frustration. Yeah. I, I wrote screams of joy trumpeted from every row. And it's so true. <laughs> yeah, it's so uh, true. You know, Billy Miller with the touchdown, <laughs> oh, Seth Payne, man. and a little bit yeah. of Gary Walker with the sack at the end to seal the deal and the number one game fan experience wise, as far as the loudness, the effect, I think it was the Bengals in the playoffs because Playoff game, yeah. that was the perfect day, Johnny. I mean, the, yeah. the Watt pick six, you had stop after stop. Uh, Gavin Gert and his, and his crew on the video board, they had that Assassin's Creed video game. Uh, all the defense, every time the defense took the field, they, they put the robes over their heads. Like one, <laughs> that video gave me chills. I was like, yeah. this is so badass. This is so awesome to have a yeah. defense like this number two defense in the league that year. And you were talking about the playoff game in 2016. That was the number one defense in the league and no what? I mean, that was incredible. So yeah. I think the Bengals are number one, Dallas, number two. I know people are going to debate this and disagree with some of it. But a lot of it is subjective. I know David Barron, who uh, is no longer with the Chronicle, but he used to come in with the, uh, with the, uh, with the crowd noise meter, right? Yeah. The decibel. Yeah. Meter, yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, this is louder than a jet engine or whatever. You know, I don't know what the numbers are, but I know what the feelings are. And I think a lot of it is based on that. Yeah, very much so. Mark, that was awesome. Can't wait to see it in print. Thank you very much for joining me on tonight's show. Thanks, Johnny. All right, we get back. We've got one note about a preseason game, actually, at a location we were just discussing for 2021. And Drew Doherty joins me for our In the Lab podcast. You don't want to miss that. We'll be back in just a bit on Texas All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, Jeff Gruder, whatever you want to call me. And I think I probably just butchered about eight words in that opening. But bear with me. It was a long night, as Mark said earlier a lot of lightning a lot of rain a lot of thunder a lot of scary moments for everybody a little bit of time in the closet with some tornado tornado warnings and i know those uh tornadoes hit over here on the west side of town and over in fulcher over in katie uh, it was a pretty nasty night so hopefully that's beyond us it does look like more rain but you guys stay safe and hopefully we'll keep you entertained here on texans all access now one note I got this uh, just a little while ago. I should have got Mark's thoughts on it. But either way, 
the Texans will face the Dallas Cowboys week two of the preseason, 7 o'clock, Saturday night, in Jerry World. If you're not going, you can watch on ABC 13, where all of our preseason games are taking place, 7 o'clock, Saturday, August 21st. ABC 13, where you can watch it, obviously. Mark Andre and myself on Sports Radio 610. You definitely want to listen to that. If you can, sometimes it's you're not able to. Sometimes you can't watch the game because you're driving somewhere, so you listen to us. Sometimes you're inside uh, and you want to hear the guys and Drew Doherty talk, so there you go. But either way, August 21st against the Cowboys, 7 o'clock, August 21st. Now, if you want to do the math on that, it's June, July, August. Three months away. It's May 19th. Eh, it's a wash. A couple days. Three months and a couple days. How about that? Three months and a couple days. That'll be our second preseason game following the week before a game against the Green Bay Packers. Fingers crossed. Oh, man. Fingers crossed. And I'm telling you, Harris the senior and moms have got fingers, toes, everything crossed so they can get their son up to Wisconsin for a week like they did back in uh, 2019. That was really cool for them. Really, really cool for me. So uh, everybody's kind of hoping that we get up there for some joint practices. Um, Aaron Rodgers didn't quite like them, so I don't know, but he may not be there. So what are you going to do? Okay, let's jump into our In the Lab discussion. Drew Doherty and I talked about quarterbacks and Wade Phillips. We're talking about quarterbacks that the Texans will face on the 2021 calendar. And one thing that stood out to me last week when, well, not last week, but when, you know, the draft finished and then you, you sync that up with when you thought about who the Texans were going to play in between the draft and the schedule release, you saw, Hey, they're going to face four teams that drafted a QB in the first round. You got the Patriots. You start off with the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, you also have, who am I missing? The Jets, as yep. well as. Uh, Potentially the 49ers. Potentially. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm not saying they're they're playing, but they did draft a quarterback in the first round. Yep. But yeah, you get the 49ers yep. on January 2nd out there. So you might see four. You and I talked about this. I think we, did we set the over under at two and a half of the, the ones yep. you're going to see. And we both kind of think it's going to be the over. But that's one of the most interesting things because I believe in years past the Texans have faced more than that. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of feasted on that and took it to their full advantage as they should. But this year, it's going to be a fascinating one. What do you think about the quarterbacks just as far as that goes? The four teams who you're going to ultimately play five games against because the Jaguars you face twice. You know you're going to get Trevor Lawrence twice as long as he's healthy. Right. What do you think yeah, about? No, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, uh, the other aspect of it is the fact that Trevor Lawrence has not played in an NFL game, I think, can, can work uh, to your advantage. But you have an opportunity, like you said, to face those rookies in five games and look for his – we've seen we've seen very good rookies. I, I go back to Baker Mayfield 2018. Yeah. First half, we picked him off three times. Second half, I mean – kind of backing off trying to get the game to a finish, he kind of lit us up and really – Yeah, you saw why he was a first overall pick. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you saw kind of a, a little bit of, of everything um, from Baker Mayfield in, in that respect. We saw Josh Allen of the Bills in 2018, and it was pretty much a mess all day long. 
Uh, and then I think it was Jade. I think JJ knocked him out. JJ or Clowney knocked him out, hit him on the elbow. He goes out. Peterman comes in and, you know, let him to the touchdown. But, it, it, you know, so, you know, Allen had a, had a rough start. Um, so we've seen some really good rookies. And look, last year, and, and, and we've talked about this numerous times. I'm not, I'm not uh, breaking news here. This was not the 2016 Texans defense or even the 2018 Texans defense, at least through the first 14, 15 games. Right. 2020's defense struggled. However, how many rookies did we face last year? And this is the, this is the trivia question for all in the labbers out there. How many rookies did we face last year? And who was it? Oh, I just gave it away. <laughs> who, 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 oh, it who was, was it? Who were they? It was one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got to figure that out. But do you remember who he was? He was not a first rounder. He was uh, a six rounder six down in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Jake Luton. Luton, yeah. Yeah, Jake Luton was the guy the Texans faced as the only rookie that the Texans faced in 2020. Now there's a possibility. And that was one game. Now there's a possibility of facing four rookies in five games, you pretty much know you're going to face Lawrence and Zach Wilson. So that's three games mm-hmm. against a rookie. So our, you're already plus two over rookies, you know, facing rookie quarterbacks. There's a possibility of facing Mac Jones in week five, and then there's a possibility of Trey Lance in week 17, I think it is. I got to recalibrate all my weeks because I'm used to saying, oh, last week of the year is week 17, but it's week 18. I, think, way, you will, I think you will see Lance. The, the wild card for me is – Mac Jones. I just have no yeah, idea what total. Belichick is going to do. You know, I have no yeah. idea because he's got, you know, you, you just saw he's, he re-signed Hoyer, who that guy's always going to rattle around and be always. in the mix. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. what happens, what, what happens injury wise, you know? Right. Um, exactly. Injury, are they in a position where they want to win or let's see what this guy's got, or we right. think this guy can actually help us win in Mac Jones better than, better than Hoyer can. So it'll be interesting to see how they create sort of phases of the season. I sort of thought, I thought about this on my, on my walk today and I was thinking about phases of the season and kind of breaking it up. But I know that some teams kind of look at it differently. They look at. And time out, time out, and time out, time out. I know that Cam Newton is the starter. I didn't want people to think right. that. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. And that I was just that's throwing kind of in because Newton gets hurt. Sometimes is it going to be Hoyer to come in? Is it going to be Mac right. Jones? Or are they just scrapping all that and going Mac Jones? I, anyways, sorry. Go yeah, and, and to that point, if, if you know, in week five, it, I think it matters when we face the Patriots in week five. I think unless something does happen to Cam, I think we will see Cam at least early on. If we had faced the Patriots in week 14 or 15, I do think there's a better chance we would have seen Mac because as although the Patriots, I think, are going to be better, I don't know how far Cam can take them given the pounding and, and the health, the health issues he's had every single year, all of a sudden he's gone, he's aged another year and he's going to be able to play 17 games clean. I, I, I don't, I don't know that I see that, but you know, facing the rookies uh, is going to be, I think, I, I think we do see Cam in week five. So I do think we'll see four rookies. I think you're right. I do think we see Trey Lance, whether it's because Jimmy's hurt, Jimmy Garoppolo's hurt or, the 49ers have things kind of clinched up and they want to see what they have in Trey Lance, kind of like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes back in 2017 when Alex Smith had gotten them to an AFC West title. The last game didn't matter. So they let Patrick Mahomes play against the Broncos and he lit it up and everybody's like, uh-oh, uh, when Alex Smith is done, this guy's going to be pretty good. And he's turned out to be pretty good. To me, the one thing that struck me, Drew, was the fact that the Texans in 2020 faced four 
league MVPs. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, and Cam Newton. Yeah. Uh, which Cam is pretty much the last probably five, six years. Um, dating back to 2014, it might get all of them, except for Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan in 2016. But I think I think Mahomes, Lamar, Rodgers, and Newton were the other ones that from 2014 on, and Rodgers being the bookend. And you faced Rodgers in the year that he won the MVP in 2020. The league MVP quarterbacks they're scheduled to face in 2021. And this goes to our discussion could be zero, but at this point it's one because it's Cam Newton. That's it. So that that's changes. a, that's a, that's a pretty massive deal to me about the fact that you're facing guys, these, these big guns. And it also goes to this one too. I remember last year, Drew, when the schedule came out and we looked at it and went, Holy bleep. The first four games were a Thursday night against Patrick Mahomes back home against Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. The reigning back MVP. on the road. Yeah, the reigning MVP, the 2018 MVP and Super Bowl MVP in week one. In week three, it was going to Pittsburgh to take on Big Ben, a guy who's been a perennial, you know, pro bowler, Super Bowl champ, and coming back off an injury, feeling as good as he's ever felt. And week four was a guy that's made the Pro Bowl a couple times in Kirk Cousins with the Minnesota Vikings. That's the way you start that off. This year, all things expected to go the way they are. You'll face Trevor Lawrence, who's never played NFL game, albeit very talented. I get that. And I, and I was one of those that did not want Trevor to go to Jacksonville. I was cheering like heck for the Jaguars and for the Jets to, to lose games so the Jets could get him. But either way, Trevor Lawrence in week one, at Cleveland and Baker Mayfield in week two, Thursday night against Sam Darnold, who's already been traded to the Panthers and don't know whether he's going to stick. And then you got Josh Allen week four, who's turned into a legit, legit quarterback. But that in comparison to what you faced last year coming out of the gate. And I think for as crazy as last year was to start off those four games the way that we did, I think it just set a tone, unfortunately, for the rest of the season. And and you, you start off the season 0-4, like, golly, that's a that's a – and you got to trudge back. You got to really like, it's tough to get back from 0 4 start. And facing those four quarterbacks was going to be, you know, um, was going to be extremely difficult. Now, I'm not saying that Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and Trevor Lawrence are any, any easy pickings at all. Uh, but it's, but it's no, comp- I mean, there's in there's comparison, no comparison, there is, there isn't one. And, yeah. and I think that's getting, just getting out of the gate. Look, the, the Jags won the first game last year and then lost 15 straight. So, just the first four games don't tell you everything. But even after that, after we faced those four guys, you know, Aaron Rodgers was, was looming. You know, we faced Cam Newton, you know, a league MVP. You know, Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, very, very good quarterback, um, was, was on the schedule. Um, so you still were going to face some, some yeah. pretty tough nuts uh, along the way, even after those four. I mean, Phillip Rivers, you faced twice. Tannehill, you faced twice. Um, you face Stafford up in Detroit, and you'll face him again just as a member of the Rams. So um, the quarterback group that they face is still pretty good, but it's one with more potential. Than it's more beatable. Yeah, I mean, it's more beatable. There's yeah, there's no mincing of the words. Like now, you gotta you gotta beat them, and it's gonna be right. tough because we don't know much about what Lovey Smith is gonna trot out there on defense. It's gonna look differently. Right than what we've seen in the last decade uh, because, hey, really, uh, this has been a 3-4 since 2011. Right. Wade and then Romeo, different 3-4s, but still. Yes. 3-4s as opposed – got to go back to, to 2010 
the last time you saw a 4-3. And that was, you don't want to yeah. see what we saw in 2010. Oh, God, no. Uh, Performance-wise, because nope. that's what made things change and brought our good pal Wade Phillips into town. And that was a good thing. Yes, it did. Uh, speaking of Wade Phillips, just kind of as an aside, he was here in the building about a month ago, and it was fun to yeah. see him. We're working on some projects, and we interviewed him. We interviewed Gary Kubiak about a week before Wade. So we've got some stuff cooking as it pertains to uh, 11 and 12, and I can't wait to, to get that going. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what becomes That'd of be it. Awesome. But it was fun. That'd I got awesome. to uh, – I met him as he came in the building and, and uh, chit-chatted with him for a while. And the guy can still coach. Somebody needs yeah. to snap him up if they want to want to get better because that guy knows – the guy's forgotten more defense and, and NFL football than a lot of people could ever hope to learn. Well, I think one of the aspects of it, and I've, I've come to this conclusion, and it's funny because I used to, I used to joke many, many years ago about, you know, the Patriots, oh, they don't give their guys titles or whatever the, the case might be. And now I kind of, I kind of understand why, because I look at a guy like, like Wade Phillips and, you know, okay, well, is he a coach? Is he this? It's like, it doesn't matter if the guy knows, what the heck he's talking about and he can help in any way, shape or form. Who cares what the daggum title is if he can come on and he can help in some way. And I'm not just talking here. I mean, maybe there's a university that could use him. You know, I think about university of Houston, you know, like Danny Holgerson could bring that, that mind power in and utilize him in some way, shape or form on the defensive side of the ball. Even if it's just to give the current defensive coordinator, a different look or a different thought, like, Hey, we used to see this. And so this is what we did. You never know when that nugget is going to come. And I just think Wade's too valuable and too intuitive and seen it all to not have an opportunity to help a team, high school, college pro. I mean, maybe you can help a high school team. That would be kind of interesting. That would be really fun. Wade Phillips coaching a high school team. Oh, that, that would be very, very cool. But yeah, it, it's, I've never had a chance to meet him. And I had one of the best moments, I think, of my life when I was just perusing Twitter and I got a notification like, okay, what's this? Wade Phillips, son of bum, is now following you. I was like, yeah. oh, my God. I mean, I, <laughs> I felt like I won the lottery. So um, it's it just, you know, you know, Nick has talked about this. A lot of people have talked about this. Man, information is key. And if you it doesn't matter who you get it from, if that information is useful and is trustworthy, Man, it, it's like it can come from anywhere. You get him in your building. That's like plopping a football library in your building. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Human being. So absolutely. Yeah, that'd be fascinating to see. The man certainly knows ball. There's no doubt about that. Wade Phillips uh, definitely does that. It's a good discussion about quarterbacks. Go a little bit deeper in depth with Drew on our in the lab that we've done here on All Access as well. All right, we got to go around the NFL. We got to do it fast, and we'll do it in our final segment next on Texas All Access. Welcome back to our final segment here on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, let's bounce around the league about as quickly as we possibly can. Jalen Hurts met with the Philadelphia media and was asked about being the starting quarterback there in Philadelphia. And if anybody understands competition, and fighting for a starting job or fighting for time on a field, Jalen Hurts is definitely that guy. If you know Jalen's story, he went to the University of Alabama. He started, uh, didn't start the first game of his career, but he came in at halftime, and from that point on, he started 
all the way through the 2017 season up until the championship game, and actually started a championship game against Georgia, was pulled at halftime, Tua Tungavailoa went on the field, led them to a win. Jalen stayed that next year, and then when Tua got hurt in the SEC championship game against Georgia, who arrived to the rescue, none other than Jalen Hurts, to get the Alabama Crimson tied over the top in the SEC championship game. He is forever highly thought of because of the way that he handled it. He's a coach's son. He's from Channel View. And he is, he is the epitome of what you want a player at all levels to be. And when asked about it, he said, yeah, I'm not above competition, man. I got to compete every single day. He said, and I believe using a term J.J. Watt used, a phrase he used, rent's due. And you got to make the payment. You got to go up there and make some plays. Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, not above competing for that number one spot. Antonio Brown underwent knee surgery. Now, there have been some rumblings, but the truth of the matter is he was supposed to have signed with the Buccaneers, but the contract has yet to become official because Brown must first pass a physical. That has not happened. Now, Jason Light did say he was not worried about about Brown's status. He just said it's a matter of time, but he's got to get that physical taken care of. But Antonio Brown underwent a successful knee surgery. Maybe they're going to pass physical. Who knows? But it's odd. Two summers ago, Antonio Brown was all anybody ever talked about. Now he's just kind of flying out of the radar, found a home there in, in Tampa Bay uh, with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. But contract not official yet because he has got to pass that physical. Speaking of signing contracts, the Detroit Lions and first-rounder offensive tackle Panay Sewell agreed to terms on a rookie deal. And the Eagles also signed a player the Texans know a little bit because he had played with the Indianapolis Colts, former Texas Tech star offensive lineman, the Raven Clark, signs with the Philadelphia Eagles and former uh, Indianapolis assistant Nick Sirianni, who's now the head coach there in Philadelphia. So things still happening in the NFL as we speak. It's been a great show. Appreciate you guys being here. Thanks to Mark for being on. Thanks to all of you for listening. I did a season ticket member call last night with Coach Cully. And it was awesome. And he said it best, just thank you. Because without you guys, without you guys listening, without your support, we can't be here. So we really appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Sports Radio 610. Appreciate you guys. And as always, go Texans.